it was not fun because I was fighting with myself. I had, the, you know, these two things going on. I really want to have this book out. I mean, just to, to tell the listeners and viewers about it, it, it was about a friend of mine who died. It was a really, really important message. And there I was fighting with myself, doubting myself, oh, I know, listening to it, experts and idiots. And, um, and basically the book was not happening. And so that wasn't doing any good to anyone. When I started this business, I realized that normally when people decide they want to write a book, uh, and I've learned this and I've honed this over many, many, many years now, normally when they decide they want to write a book, the impetus is coming from one of several places. Either this is a really important story so I can feel it, you know, like in your, in your gut and in your solar plexus, you feel it, you, I must write this. Or something that is a bit more left brain, shall we call it. I've been told that writing a book makes me an expert. My cook, everyone says I should write a book, but do you see what I mean? It's very different. Yes. There's nothing wrong with the second one, by the way. I'm not judging anybody's motives or objectives or anything else. However, until you have complete clarity about how that is going to work for you, how that's going to fit in and how it's going to drive you to do it, how it's going to motivate you and how you can use it, you could end up, I say you, you know, anybody could end up with a book that's, um, you know, not quite right, not quite passionate enough, not quite representative of, of your best stuff. Uh, it could take too long because you could be fighting with yourself or your heart might not be in it. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We've got a great one in store for you. In case you happen to miss the last episode, here's a quick snippet, and then we will get on to the show. You know, within two years, I've made a real good name myself in the industry. In fact, I was traveling, training other instructors all over the United States. And then, uh, and then uh, I uh, left the corporate industry world and opened up my own with some partners. And that's when I hit rock bottom again. And I lost everything. And this time, I had just gotten married <laughs> and lost everything. Mindy Gibbons Klein, who's an award-winning author, a TEDx speaker, a thought leader strategist, who's helped over a thousand aspiring authors really become subject matter experts and be visible on a global scale. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation and uh, excited to be here live in the community. So uh, I'm based in London and New York. I go back and forth every month and I work with thought leadership strategy. So I have a few companies that help experts and would-be experts to plan and write books, to create a thought leadership strategy. I have a publishing company. Uh, we launch and sell and distribute books globally and uh, really aim to give people a better ROI on their efforts. If um, they're thinking of writing and speaking, then it's better to get you know, a bigger return on that. So that, that's kind of what I'm all about. 
tell us, so you've been doing this for, for quite a bit. You've helped a thousand aspiring authors really to move from their initial thought to really becoming an, an established author and helping to publish and market. What's your story? So what, how did you get to where you are? Tell us a little about what that looked like, some of the challenges that you had, some of the different areas where you, you, know, you just outright failed and different shifts that you made to get to where you are. Okay, well, thank you for, uh, for that offer. I'm just um, thinking about where it all started. And uh, I started in sales training, and then we got taken over by a marketing department. And so I became an accidental marketeer. And when I did my MBA, I focused on marketing. And I, I, I thought, Red, this is where I'm going. And when I left the corporate world, I thought I was leaving marketing. Turns out that's what I'm still doing. Um, almost almost exactly at the same time as I was leaving the corporate world, my first book came out. And so this was 17 years ago. I had this fledgling uh, company, coaching company. I was willing to do marketing consultancy. Um, I, was, I was trying to promote my book. I had like, you know, all these different strands. And what happened was um, I just kind of put the, the, those few things together and people started seeing me as a book marketing expert because I was marketing my own book and other people had books. This remember 17 years ago, it was kind of the beginning of people uh, you know, taking control of their own publishing journey, shall we call it. So I had some publishers who were sending me their clients' books and paying me to do, you know, a launch and things like that. Uh, unfortunately, I came back from a holiday one time and um, there was a book in a padded envelope and I opened it up and I just felt so distraught. My heart sank. Um, it, everything was wrong with this book. There was a typo on the cover and um, it went south from there. It, I just said, I can't, I cannot launch and market this book. And the publisher said, you have to. I said, I do not. And they said, well, the client's paid, blah, blah, blah. So let's see how we could get around this. Um, so I started looking at it. I said, can I speak to the author first? I met with the author. You know, we had a bit of a, an exchange of views. I agreed to do the launch, but I insisted that the book was proofread again and, and certain aspects of it were changed. Um, 600 errors with it, by the way. And it had gone to print, allegedly. So it had to be republished and all this. I launched that book, but my heart was not in it because this niggling thought was at the back of my mind, which came to the front of my mind. And that was, I really wish I had been involved before he even started. And that was the, the sort of defining moment, if you want to call it that. I realized that um, even though I have great marketing skills, I don't like getting involved at the end of the journey. It, it's not what I do best. I can do it, but I can add so much more value if I'm there at the beginning. And so that's how the book Midwife was formed because I thought I want to help bring that book out, out of the person, not just out into the market. And so that was 17 years ago. And it's been really hard to say no to, um, you know, marketing projects, uh, somebody who has self-published their book, put it on Amazon. It's not going anywhere. It's not doing anything. And they go, can you help me? And, and I really have to say no, because that's not what we do. They either get help with the writing in one of my companies or we publish it, in which case we do launch it. And, but, you know, you really have to stick to your knitting, as we say in the UK. Um, so that kind of sums it up. You know, I, I now run the two companies and they work together many times. So a lot of people want to write and publish, not just one or the other. So, yeah, that's how it all came about. Now that's interesting. It was interesting how you lit up as you spoke about that moment. You had that moment and it really flashed across the screen that I could see here. And 
So tell us more about that moment when you realize that it, it, it seems almost like you just had this rush of passion and you got really excited and focused. And that must relate to a lot of everybody's experience when they really know what they're going to do. Tell us more yeah. about that. Well, yes. Okay, great. Thank you. It, it was, um, it was realizing that things make sense. Your, your life, I mean, the problem is we're just so busy, busy, busy in the hamster wheel. We don't stop and think and reflect often enough. And, and my latest book, The Thoughtful Leader, goes on and on and on about that. So I was forced to take a step back because I, uh, you know, I thought, oh, you know, am I going to say no to this project? Am I going to be blacklisted? Am I, you know, it's a big decision to, you know, the publisher could start bad mouthing me in the market. So I really had to stop and think about it and explore pros and cons. Now, the good news about having 15 years in marketing before I even did that is, you know, I do have some systems and processes to go through decision making. So that's what I did. I, I, I sort of, you know, pros and cons and, and weighted averages and all sorts of things. And I ended up uh, making that decision, you know, pretty rationally. Uh, and I realized that I wasn't really doing anything different. I was just putting more emphasis on the skill that I thought was my strongest. So, you know, I, <laughs> it sounds really stupid, but I realized that one of my skills is planning because it sounds so unsexy, you know, my <laughs> planning. Woo. And I'm also an artiste. So I've got a lot of things going on. Like a lot of us entrepreneurs, we have different aspects to ourselves. So, you know, I have different interests, passions, skills, experience, and you can meld two or three of them together in any way you like. I think that's what occurred to me because I was in this crisis moment. Um, and so I thought, oh, you know, be creative. Like, what are all the possibilities? And I realized that um, I can still have an appreciation for creative endeavors because, you know, I write and I've written since I, I was six years old. There's a big long story behind that as well. And I also have that rigor that comes from doing the business degree and comes from just working in a corporate environment and having that, you know, just that, that process-driven mentality. And a lot of people, when they're writing a book, they don't have that. So I felt, okay, great. I'm, I'm adding something to the conversation, something good. And, and that's really how I came to terms with it. I wasn't leaving stuff. I was adding and I started outsourcing anything that came in that wasn't right for me. So that's another thing that we should always do. You know, I don't take non-core work, as I said before. I don't think any of us should uh, compromise what we're known for. You know, sure, I could do talks on uh, networking. I used to run a BNI region. I, I could do talks on a lot of things. I don't do it because I really like to stick to what I do best and then refer that work to other colleagues. And, you know, everybody wins. That's interesting. I, I really want to actually get, get more into that and talk a little more about that. I think that's a really interesting distinction about non-core work yeah. and about outsourcing. And I think there's a lot of stress uh, that entrepreneurs will go through, or just people in general, but entrepreneurs specifically that have so much they're taking on and thinking about trying to outsource. Uh, I think that's almost part of that, that journey. Um, but I would like to hear a little more about this, uh, the distinction you made between the um, the process driven and the creative. And so with writing a book, you know, so we have, there's definitely a lot of people within the community uh, here within uh, LinkedIn Mastery. And then also I think that just in the entrepreneurial community that are looking at starting to write a book. 
and that whole process really it is really complicated it is it's it's very overwhelming there's a lot of different aspects to it yep. so you made a distinction about really um, the creative aspect of writing the book and then the process so why is what is it about the process of writing the book that's so difficult for so many people Be, okay well I don't know how it is for so many people or every person I, I just know that I went about it the wrong way so I alluded to this before I spent 10 years writing my first book I say writing mostly I spent 10 years not writing it was not fun because I was fighting with myself. I had the, you know, these two things going on. I really want to have this book out. I mean, just to, to tell the listeners and viewers about it, it, it was about a friend of mine who died. It was a really, really important message. And there I was fighting with myself, doubting myself, oh, I know, listening to experts and idiots. And, um, and basically the book was not happening. And so that wasn't doing any good to anyone. Anyway, that's, that's that story. But um, when I started this business, I realized that normally when people decide they want to write a book, uh, and I've learned this and I've honed this over many, many, many years now, normally when they decide they want to write a book, the impetus is coming from one of several places. Either this is a really important story so I can feel it, you know, like in your, in your gut and in your solar plexus, you feel it, you, I must write this. Or something that is a bit more left brain, shall we call it. I've been told that writing a book makes me an expert. My cook, everyone says I should write a book, but do you see what I mean? It's very different. There's yes. nothing wrong with the second one, by the way. I'm not judging anybody's motives or objectives or anything else. However, until you have complete clarity about how that is going to work for you, how that's gonna fit in and how it's gonna drive you to do it, how it's gonna motivate you and how you can use it, you could end up, I say you, you know, anybody could end up with a book that's, um, you know, not quite right, not quite passionate enough, not quite representative of, of your best stuff. Uh, it could take too long because you could be fighting with yourself or your heart might not be in it. There's so many different things that go on. Um, so what, what happens is I, I try to sound that out. Um, whether it's, you know, after I do a speech, people come up to me, you know, that long line of people and you think they just want to shake your hand and no, they want to take 10 minutes and tell you their story. So mm. I hear a lot of stories about people who have an idea to write a book or they've been writing or they've, you know, been struggling <clears throat> or they've oh got, you know, it, it's not easy. You're right. When you work it like that. So what, we do at the book midwife is we create a frame and we provide the system the process the methodology you know we hold their hand like a midwife i'm not a trained midwife it's a metaphor but you know me and the team we know what it's like and we we want to stop people um <clears throat> doing things that are counterproductive so you need both the way to employ creativity, excitement, passion, where you can feel it in your gut, etc., and you know, looking at it in a business-like and professional way, treating it in the right way, and making it more efficient. So, the thing that we do is we get every book planned and written within 90 days, and that's really, really, really important for the non-fiction books. I have some writers of fiction. You know, they want to write novels. They want to be, you know, write the next uh, Harry Potter series. Sure. Well, they can take as long as they like because, you know, that's different. 
but a how-to book, an expertise book, a book to showcase somebody as an expert, you know, that, that kind of book, nonfiction. It's really best done in a short time frame. Not very, not ridiculously short, like write your book in a weekend. I think, you know, I, I could just talk for hours about why that's so not right. Um, but 90 days gives it enough time and space to breathe. Businesses work in quarters. And, and so we're used to that as business people. Sorry, I get so excited. I have so many things I want to say about this topic. Um, that's, the, that's the deal is, you know, get the right things working for you, the right amount of passion. Sometimes um, people will say, oh, you know, I don't know if I should write this book. And after a few minutes, we realize that they're doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, because someone told them they should or they feel they should or they, we shouldn't do anything because we feel we should, right? Got it. No, that's that's really that's really interesting. That's a very good, uh, very good distinction. It, while, while you're saying that, too, is making me think a little more about even the, the comment that you made about the uh, about the non-core work and outsourcing. Yeah. There's something about an inauthenticity uh, really with the focus that may have detrimental effects in many different areas. Can you speak to that really related to the, the non-core work as well and where you've yeah, seen absolutely. that? So there's non-core work, there's non-core writing, there's non-core, you know, ju just being aware of what you want to be known for. And I, in fact, I'll repeat that, what you want to be known for. A lot of people work on what are you known for, but they don't realize that we all have complete control of shifting what we're known for if it's done in a strategic way. Again, I'm so grateful that I persevered and you know did my business studies because um, you know it's treating goals in a business-like way. It's treating you know your, your life in a business-like way. It becomes you know I'm sure there's other words for it, but it's a really good way to do that test run it through the filter every time something comes up, every time a project, a keynote, you're invited to contribute to uh, an article or an event or whatever. If it's not in your core area that you're known for or the one you want to be known for, it's worth reflecting a bit more about whether it's even right to say yes to that opportunity because it can cause the stress that you're talking about. Is If somebody doesn't, you know, let, let's say, I assume, Errol, that you're not a, um, a veterinary expert. Yeah, you don't know anything about curing animals, and am I right? No, okay. I don't. I, I was trying to pick something that, you know, so if somebody said, oh yeah, but surely like you, you've met some animals in your life, you know, come and talk at this conference. It would cause so much stress because you'd feel you have to do a lot of research and you'd have to, you know, talk to other people and you'd, and you'd stand on that stage. I don't care if you had two days two weeks or two months or two years to prepare for it, you might have a little imposter syndrome going on. You might have just a feeling that you can't be in your flow and produce your best speech. Or, you know, it's just a, a crazy example, but this yeah. happens all the time. And entrepreneurs who are just starting out, and I did this, this is how I learned this. You wanna say yes to everything. Cause it's like, oh, somebody's waving money in front of my face. I'll take that job, I'll take that gig. But it's not always the best thing to do. It's really, really hard to say no. I'll never forget the first time. So I started with this general coaching business, business coaching, life coaching, you name it. And I stood up at a BNI meeting. This is before I knew any better. And, and BNI, Business Network International, is is fantastic training in terms of how to present your business and you get to practice it every single week in front of you. So I was I was only a member at this point. I didn't know. And I, I'll never forget. Um, a 
of course, I was doing the book stuff, but I was also doing, I stood up and I said, you know, do you know anybody who is uh, looking to um, fix their relationship, looking to build a business, looking to, um, I gave this whole laundry list of things. And afterwards, uh, a friend of mine who's in marketing said, that's not really the way to do it because it's just overwhelming. And it's, of course, you can help people with all these things, you know, but that they're not, they're just not going to be able to hone in on that. And, and obviously everybody who talks about niche or niching, um, you know, agrees with me and him. So I can't remember where this started, but I, <laughs> yeah, but I oh, just about doing non-core, not doing non-core yeah, work. Don't do it. Basically don't do it because it's not going to be your best work. You're not going to feel great about yourself. And in the end of the day, if, if you're choosing to be an entrepreneur or just manage your profession or career, if, if you, even if you're employed, you could be entrepreneurial about it. You know, you want to do your best work and you want to feel great about your work and yourself. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. No, I, I relate to that thinking about how passionate it is, even thinking of how passionate you got about that moment that you mentioned and people feel that people see that and that draws you forward if you're not super passionate about what you're doing you're going to start to more doubt yourself there's a lot of uncertainty and things that come up and ultimately it's your passion that's going to keep you going forward i, I believe in addition to the processes passion is going to get you up when you fall down uh when your well, process passion fail. and confidence um i write and speak a lot about confidence nowadays not generally but specifically to do with doing the work that you're meant to be doing having clarity on your message, um, you know, having a thought leadership strategy, it all gives you more confidence. So um, if you don't mind me jumping in and just adding this extra layer to the conversation, um, we can give this gift to ourselves by doing the work. So a lot of people feel a bit like a pinball in a machine, you know, getting bounced around from here to there. And they're, they're very much um, at effect instead of at cause is what the coaches say. You know, it, it's, it's, they don't feel in control of their own life and career. And I think, you know, even, even us entrepreneurs, even, you know, we who've set up our own businesses don't always feel we're controlling everything because it's like you, you, you can't predict anything really um, unless you have a lot of clients on retainer and even then I just had a client who lost two of her clients and lost more than half of her retained income every month like that mm. uh, but yeah so you want to feel you're in control so you can relax control is an illusion anyway which Tony and I have discussed funny enough um, <clears throat> but you 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 don't want to be nervous and feel out of control so there's some interesting things that you can do. And one of them is to pursue those things that you know you're good at and you know you're passionate about. So there's lots of aspects coming in. And, um, you know, then you get to benefit from producing your best work in that way, from really, you know, shining or whatever you want to call it. Uh, absolutely. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think it almost, it sounds like too that, so with that, the other piece there that you mentioned, it's the process. So if you've got the process that's in place, yeah. uh, even if there's an uncertainty, I guess you, you can really just look at the process that you have and feel comfortable that you have the process and trust the process and know that you're in the passionate yes. area. So you can fall back on the process and you're passionate. So you know, you're in the right direction and you have faith yeah. that things are going to work out and comfortable and that passion will attract other people hopefully i guess that's the the idea and other opportunity well, 
Yeah, and and the process, you know, the process gets gets a bad rep sometimes. You know, the um, we we use that expression all the time, by the way, which is why I lit up. You know, trust the process because sometimes you don't really understand what's going on when you embark on a new adventure, like setting up a business or declaring that you're going to do a TEDx talk or writing a book or you know a big thing, run a marathon. You know, there's a lot of um, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, etc. It all goes on and it crops up, and but you know, trusting the process means, you know, you, you can't see every single step of the way. You can't see the whole journey. You know, it's going around the corner, but you trust, which means that you're not wasting valuable energy being nervous about stuff that, you know, might not happen, stuff you can't control. What we do with the book stuff, so the book is a great metaphor because, um, you know, I've honed it down and I've been tempted to do other thought leadership coaching like manage people, uh, you know, for a year, two years or ongoing as they write their blogs. And as that is not the work I do. And it's really hard. But um, we use the book as a metaphor. It can be used for other things. So the point about it is it's a big, overwhelming thing, right? Like I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to climb a mountain. I'm going to write a book. It's in that kind of category, I think. It seems like it. It seems like again, it gets to that creativity and that passion, that thing that sparks in your mind that says, yeah. "Wow, that's it," and then moving towards. Yes. It. Um, yeah. The, the reason why I'm hesitating is um, the more people use the word creativity, the more they're going to have to be careful mm -hmm. because. Uh, an expertise book, a book to showcase you as, as a thought leader is not necessarily about creativity. It can be, it can seem a bit boring if we say, well, look, let's put creativity on the back burner. You know, people love to be creative and you can be, but if I were to, you know, create a pie chart with creativity and process um, process would win it would you know it, it, 60 65 70 75% in some cases 80% of the project is about the process the framework the structure I always hate it when people use those words and we've had hundreds of testimonials where you know someone you know these vox pops where you know somebody gets a, a microphone in front of one of my clients and they're like what's the best thing about the book midwife and Mindy's process and they're like oh yeah the structure I'm like oh great that's that's a really great word you know however Left to our own devices, most of us would not have the discipline, the structure, the clarity. The, the, therefore, they could end up with, um, I had somebody last year and he, he said, I've been writing my book and I'm finally finished. And, um, you know, it's, it's taken me three years. I was like, okay, whatever, but you're done now. Uh-huh. And I, I need to find out if it's any good. I'm like, well, that, that, I'm not going to be able to answer that question. Um, and, you know, he wants to know, is it good enough to publish? And I said, well, let's start with some practical things. Um, how many words is it? But he didn't know. Many times people don't, they don't work with words. They work with, pay okay, how many pages is it? 800. 800 he'd written. And he wanted someone else to fix it, to edit it down. To I said, no, that's impossible. You know, you're the only one who can decide what's, what's, what's going to, you know, be core, what's going to be cut out, what, you know. Uh, it just made me very sad, that conversation. So, um, so that's why things like structure and plugging into a proven multi-award winning methodology might be a good idea. That sounds, sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it uh, sounds like a plan. Oh, that's very good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> now that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, one of the things that somebody earlier on uh, said to me is that the best, <clears throat> the best performing athletes in the world have coaches. Mm-hmm. The, the most successful people in the world, they have coaches and there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a reason why those coaches, you know, there's a, there's a reason why, but, um, so, uh, so let's see. So one of the things is that you've, uh, you focus on helping subject matter experts and business owners build credibility. How exactly do you do that? Okay. So remember when I started this work 17 years ago, writing a book was not a thing. In fact, I used to go around to all these networking meetings and say, you know, I help people write books. I didn't use the word, oh, it would be too big and scary. So, you know, I help people write books and I used to get pushback. Why would I want to write a book? So I did a lot of um, persuading and convincing and marketing and I showed up at a lot of things and a lot of my colleagues, you know, it became easier to write and publish a book. Well, publish anyway. And um, a lot of people started jumping on the bandwagon. Nowadays, people kind of get it. So they're like, the message has changed to write a book and you will have cre more credibility. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And this is the area. This is where the rubber meets the road. And this is why I keep raising the bar. And I make no apology for doing it. And I'll continue to do it because it's what I do. If, if I see that people are um, barking up the wrong tree, I feel it's my job to just shed some light on it. They can continue barking up that tree, but you know, if they just stop, they may uh, have a different view. And my view is, you know, the moment everybody starts doing something, I, I, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily going to add any credibility to any one person. The moment a market gets crowded, it becomes harder to stand out. That's something we can all relate to. I had a friend who was a web designer in the very early days. And it was like, wow, because I was messing about with my own HTML and there were no templates and there, you know, and I was like, wow, somebody can do this for others. Nowadays, right? Web designer, it's a, nowadays writing a book, it's a thing. However, if everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, it gets a bit dangerous. Um, I don't want to um, rub salt in anyone's wounds, but <clears throat> if we have any crypto investors listening to us, everybody jumped on the bandwagon and it was all very exciting until it wasn't. And, you know, I've been there, done that. I've just, just I don't even look at my wallets at the moment. Um, it was a, like an extra thing that I was doing. And, but I thought, wow, you know, we jump on these bandwagons. Writing a book, is, it shouldn't be a bandwagon. It shouldn't be, you know, a trendy thing to do, but it's become one because publishing is easier than ever. You can push a button. Amazon, as great as they are, and, and you know, we love them. In all my businesses, we use Amazon and partner with them strategically. Uh, they're, they're great. But they haven't done people any favors by making it so easy to push a button and have a book because, um, well, it's the world's biggest slush pile basically. <laughs> Sorry, but that's one, that's one of my, the things I've been quoted for saying, and I just find it really funny because slush pile is a term that comes from the traditional industry, and Amazon has wanted to level the playing field and open it up to everyone, but they've gone too far, I think, because most people, you know, they'll take the easy road. Anyway, I'm on a bandwagon uh, or a soapbox myself now. What I wanted to say is 
I think that real thought leaders don't just do stuff. They don't jump on the bandwagon. They don't want to just churn something out. They don't want to do something just because it's trendy. Because in the end of the day, you're just going to be a needle in an ever-increasing haystack and you're not going to be able to be found. And it's not going to result in, in credibility if you don't go about it the right way and you end up with a book that is too long, too short, off track, not quite right, too boring, just too blah, too meh, too me too, too what. It, it, it's a waste of time. So I don't know if you remember the very first thing I said when I came on here, I thought, oh gosh, I should wait, you know, but um, I gave you one of my best expressions. I said, we should aim for a better ROI on our thought leadership and something important like a book, a better return on the investment of time, effort and money, because otherwise you've wasted that time, effort and money, or you know, it's just, it's stupid. So raising the bar, if there's one thing that I would like people to consider and remember about me and my work, and I'm happy to chat about this with anybody at any time, because this is what my life's mission is all about. It keeps getting clarified as, as you know, that's what happens when you run a business or several businesses for years, it keeps evolving. But the one common thread is I'm all about raising the bar, not settling, stopping and reflecting, admitting that what you were thinking of doing or what you have been doing is simply not good enough. And then taking action, aiming for something better, higher. I know you have really strong ethics, Errol, and that's why I'm giving you some of my cutting edge stuff right now, because, you know, life's too short to put out mediocre work. That, that's where I'm coming from. Fracking, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, that train of thought. It's, uh, it's really interesting too what you said about you know really the, the whole make it easy uh, and every it seems like in so many different uh, different endeavors that eventually people try to market easy because they can market it mm -hmm. and then people believe that it can just be easy and they don't have to put a lot of thought time structure planning and they don't have mm -hmm. to do the hard work that produce these incredible results and uh, some really great things with the advent of the internet phenomenal uh, but there is a lot of information that can be spread. And a lot of people, if we look at LinkedIn, for example, a lot of people saying they're an expert in a particular yeah. area. It's not really like that. So well, yeah, I appreciate sorry. that. So, so the phrase buyer beware, caveat emptor, leaps to mind. And I'm saying this with, with total heart and as much integrity as I can pull together right now. And I'm really begging every community member of ours, every listener of this podcast, everybody who engages with you or me or both, I'm begging you to consider aiming higher, to reflect on whether you are allowing yourself and your work to be commoditized and just blend in to this, this big market. Uh, standing out is not a question of just having a clever gimmick or throwing money at it. So the real question is, do you want to feel great about yourself and your work? Do you want to leave a real legacy? Not a book that somebody has engineered to be a bestseller for one day, and I'm being facetious now, but do you really want to be proud of yourself and your work and what you've contributed to the planet? That's what I'm asking. 
Phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Phenomenal. So uh, let's see. I have one other question here, maybe two. So you mentioned here as well that, uh, that you help uh, you help individuals to position themselves as a true authority in their field. Mm -hmm. Now, how would you say that you help somebody position themselves as a true authority in their respective field? Right. So I've hinted at it throughout our conversation. So this will be easy. I'll just summarize the key things. Number one is choosing the right space or scope. So, you know, not saying I'm a marketing expert when it's actually a specific area or not, not trying to become an expert in something because it's trendy, you know, I was talking about that. So picking the right area and scope. Doing it in the right way, and that, that's, that's a subjective term. So if somebody says, you know, should I write a short book or a long book or a, a, what, a hardback or a, it, it's, it's not about that and there's no right or wrong. And a book is just a metaphor. So it's, it's having a plan, having a strategy and not trying to guess or go it alone. Of course, I'm going to be a strong proponent of coaching for books, for thought leadership and anything else that's important. Of course, if people don't value that and they think, well, I'm just going to DIY, you know, do it yourself. I'm just going to, you know, it's so easy. Yeah, I know how to write. I know what I want to say. Da, 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 talk into a dictaphone, you know, get it printed. If that's the way they see their book, that's great. And, and they're never going to be a client of ours. If somebody wants to make a, a, a serious impression, a big dent in the universe, to use Steve Jobs' expression, if they want to really feel great about what they've produced, it's worth getting help. And it's worth getting help early, 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 early. Before, so before you set out your whole plan and start blogging and start, you know, before you outline a book. I have people who come to us, you know, I, I'd like help with my book. I've already done the outline. I'm like, well, okay, maybe, which is my favorite word, by the way. Uh, are you open to any input on that outline? I mean, you know, shit, we like the blank slate because this is where I have a hundred percent confidence that if we have everything to play with, all the possibilities still open, we'll come up with more ideas and we'll have a bigger selection to choose from. And I can give my, you know, but where they've already done their outline, which usually isn't a good enough outline, you know, they've got these blinders on what we call blinkers in the UK. That's it. You can't see what's going on over here because you've got these blinkers on. You can't see any other possibilities. You're wedded to it. You're, you're invested in it. You're, you know, you, you just, it's, you've started to narrow down and close your mind. So I've started, um, going into a different area of my work now. But if you want to uh, really produce something great, it's worth getting help and it's worth getting help early on. Absolutely. Well, I'll relate this uh, one story with that just from my personal experience here with doing this this podcast. Now, I've been at this now for about a year, uh -huh. a year and some change. And in this process, I've kind of done it myself. And now as I've uh, passed this year mark, I've invested a little more time and effort into really connecting with other, other people and creating processes. Yeah. And it's completely changed everything about my whole approach to this and the effectiveness of it. Yeah. But it comes down to that, to that process and actually implementing a process. So having somebody else. So now if I was to work with somebody else or talk with somebody else about how to set up a podcast and how to approach the whole thought process behind it, uh, that whole year's worth of learning 
I would be able to provide that for them probably within one hour and, you know, some multiple follow-ups, but at the same time, it would save them, you know, a year's worth yeah. of just kind of flailing around trying to figure things out. Yeah. So I, I definitely, I definitely see that. So if somebody does want to reach out to you, if people want to participate or to connect, or they want to look you up online, mm -hmm. what are the, what are the best things for people to look out for that you're currently doing? Yep. And what are the best ways for somebody to reach out to just connect with you and perhaps get help from you or just to connect with you? What are the yep. best things and what, what do you have going on? Okay. So first of all, um, an overarching statement that, that really clarifies my philosophy on uh, inquiries, on, on networking in general, relationships, it's always worth a chat. It's always worth a chat. So nobody has to think, oh, I don't know if this idea is good enough or I could spend all day, every day, chatting with people. And I, and I do pretty much. <laughs> and my work is about chatting with people, but also guiding them, etc. But yeah, please, please, please connect. LinkedIn is obviously an easy place to connect. My um, main website is mindygk.com. And, and the reason why I set that up is everything else is available from there. So mindygk.com is uh, a place where people can read about my work, see some videos, and really get an understanding um, but it's a place where they can also request a call and we should have a call and discuss so there's no such thing as a stupid question uh, except the one that you don't ask because it's stupid not to not to ask a question and get an answer when you know when that's available um, book midwife on Twitter Instagram everywhere else bookmidwife.com <clears throat> it shows our work and so that's my company where myself and my coaches help people to develop their plan and get their drafts done and get to final uh, manuscript in 90 days. We have an online version of it, which is the club. And that's a very, very easy way to do it. And the club doesn't have the 90 day constraint. And it's also a very different price point. So there are six easy payments and then the payments stop and you have access forever. So that's very, very, very different. But it's there because some people really, you know, they can't commit. They're busy running several businesses or they've got little kids and their business and blah, blah, blah. So it's a self-paced, no pressure approach. Obviously, the coaching is the one for serious people. And if they want to talk about uh, how we do that and the different packages, and, you know, let's have a chat. It's always worth a chat. I think I've answered it. Oh, no, I haven't answered the final thing. So if somebody has already somehow written their book <laughs> with or without help and they've not worked with us i'm still happy to have a chat about publishing my company panoma press i think you just saw it and commented the other day um we've just committed to giving extra focus and emphasis and opportunities to people from underrepresented groups we've, we went public with this and it's a little scary but i had to go through that process and realize you know what we were doing was just lip service and that just wasn't good enough we've put a stake in the ground saying that we are actively seeking authors, wannabe authors from underrepresented groups, uh, women. So we've made a, a huge, huge um, amount of progress in that area, but we have more work to do in terms of black and minority ethnic people, disabled people, people from the LGBTQ plus community. If, if someone feels they're not getting fair representation and that the, the community they're part of uh, just doesn't seem to be reflected in the books that are coming out. Let's have a chat 
because we are going to over-prioritize authors from those groups, and I make no apology for saying that, because we need to redress the balance. So I am pleased to be able to share that. We just announced it three days ago, and that is our mission for 2019, is to do something to redress the balance, especially in terms of business books. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mindy. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Errol Helps Entrepreneurs Increase Visibility, Credibility, and Profitability. If you enjoyed the conversation today and you find yourself wanting more, there is. These conversations are recorded live in our closed Facebook community for entrepreneurs called LinkedIn Mastery. Head on over to Facebook for LinkedIn Mastery to find the extended clip of this recording along with many other conversations and resources to help you in your entrepreneurial journey. Just be sure to replace the Y at the end of Mastery with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Mastery, where entrepreneurs go to network and learn how to attract their ideal clients via LinkedIn and broker powerful connections worldwide. Be sure to visit us at LinkedIn Mastery on Facebook. Be sure to replace the Y with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery.